Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> wow. So I'm, I'm assuming you guys are all here because you saw the presentation yesterday and you want to know more behind the scenes about how hard it really is. <laughs> I think like, like any time in our life here in our current culture, it's always easy to share the highlights, right? Facebook, Instagram, news, right? But um, sometimes the struggles behind the scenes are where the real gems are, or where actually the real lessons are learned. And so this presentation is titled Faces of Santa Ana the Good, which is I think what you guys all saw last night, and then the bad and the ugly, where things get a little bit shaky for us sometimes. So I want to start by saying um, I shared a story about a man named Matthew the other day, and um, he was the one that started it all. He was the screaming guy outside of my building. And so I'm going to show you a quick, like, two-minute video of Matthew and um, just to paint a picture of how we've walked out life with him and then what our relationship is like now, I'll talk about after this video. Hi, Tom. I'm Matt Ferris. Uh, thank you for buying the painting that Brian painted of me. Uh, it is, uh, he's told me that it is going towards helping the homeless, and that's something that I feel is very honorable, so thank you very much for supporting it, ideally. Every colors, distant ones, will you recover from your sins? Smoky window frames my face, and I am going to outer space. show that video to you uh, because that was a trip that we took to Yosemite with Matthew and the other family in the video that was Matthew's 
best friend in high school. And Matthew actually played piano at this guy's wedding. This family now is, they're missionaries. They call themselves musicianaries. And they travel the world uh, playing gospel music in communities of people that don't know Jesus. And so they were praying and looking for Matthew for eight years and found him on like the news somewhere by one of our stories, right? And so they invited us to come up to their little retreat area in Yosemite. And so we drove up with Matthew, spent time in hotels with him, all of these things. Hey, <laughs> I cares. Um, so um, it was just a, this beautiful journey. Actually, Matthew frequented New Song Church when we were all there. It was like he was family to us. And um, I tell this story because sometimes the ending is not always easy. And so many people ask me when I go somewhere, well, why was Matthew screaming when you first met him outside of your building? And so this is undiagnosed. Uh, Matthew, he doesn't want to seek medical attention. We've tried with him, but um, we believe that he's very paranoid and schizophrenic which sometimes happens while you're on the streets because of your lack of sleep and just lack of healthy lifestyle, but also sometimes can also be the cause of why you ended up on the streets in the first place, right? And so Matthew, for as long as we've known him, has always told us stories of the multiple voices that he hears. So when we were on the way home from this trip, we asked him to describe them. And I think he described four different voices, like some are male, some are female, and they would, they would, they would describe or tell him to do things, and he didn't know whether those things were reality or not. And so one of the ways he described things to us, he said he'll be walking down the street, and he'll, he'll hear a voice say, turn right, right? And so he'll think, was that me or, or one of the voices in my head? And then once he turns right, a, vo- a different voice will say, you know we wanted you to turn right. You know we're down here. We're going to get you, right? And so everything is like deception. His whole life is this deceiving voices inside of his head, right? And he helped us understand the severity of that. And so if you fast forward a couple slides here, this, this note is um, something that really, really wrecked Vanessa and I's heart. So we're walking out life with this guy. He's in our home. We're doing Bible studies with him. We're letting him use our shower. We just love Matthew, right? And one day he comes to our Bible study on a Monday night and drops this note off to, to a friend of mine. He dropped it right in her lap. And the note says, like, hey, so-and-so, don't eat any of Brian or Vanessa's food. Don't let them pray for you. They're trying to kill us all, right? And this was actually a season where we had Matthew lined up for permanent housing forever for free. Someone loved his story so much in our season who had access to permanent housing. This guy said, well, how's this guy forever? We love his music. We love his heart. And all he had to do was sign some paperwork. So as we presented the paperwork to him, the, the, the paranoia in him that always believed the government was out to get him and this kind of stuff caused him to run away from us, drop this note off, and we, we haven't had a relationship with him since. And so, of course, we tried to convince Matthew that we're not trying to kill you, man. We love you, right? And he would get really angry, really, really violent. And so, of course, we had to separate ourselves because he honestly believes with everything inside of him that the only people that were trying to help him were actually trying to kill him, right? And so how do you reconcile when things like this happen? How do you reconcile such a beautiful story with a painting and reconciliation with old friends that ends in a man honestly believing that you're trying to kill him? And so I was just praying about it one day. I said, Lord, I don't understand this. Like, what does this actually mean, you know? And um, 
the Lord spoke to me and it was shocking. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced the Lord saying something and you're like, that's not what I wanted to hear or that's not what I expected. And the Lord said, um, he said, Brian, the note that Matthew gave was true. And I was like, I don't understand. He says the note was true. And then you start to think, was that you, Lord, or was that me? Like making up what you're saying, right? And it was around this time, like I take the Bible really literally, which is I think why I end up where I end up, you know? And Jesus walked around the earth doing incredible miracles, one of which was like setting the captives free, delivering many people from spirits, healing all of these things. So when I read that stuff, I'm like, sweet, like let's do it, you know? And, um, and so we'd been talking about deliverance. We'd been talking about freedom. We're always discussing healing. We're just discussing what it looks like to actually walk out life like Jesus on earth. And um, around that time, we were actually having lots of conversations about um, setting people free from spirits. And the Lord spoke to me and said, the spirit that wrote that note inside of Matt, that is the spirit you're trying to kill. The note is true, right? And so Matthew didn't write that note. Like Matthew, the real Matthew deep down inside, could have never wrote that, you know, because because of the, the grace and love we poured out on him. But the bondage that Matt is in could have definitely wrote that note, right? And so the Lord said, the note is true. That spirit you are trying to kill. And I was like, yes, <laughs> right? Like that is that very thing. Like we want to see freedom for our brothers so much, right? And we're still contending for that. We still, we still pray for Matt all the time when he comes up, right? And so if you go to the next slide. So I'm just going to take you on a journey of a couple stories of a few of our friends, and I really hope it'll paint a picture of the good, the bad, and the ugly. You can judge whether or not this story is good, bad, or ugly if you want to, but um, this is a story of my friend James. And so James is a uh, war veteran. He comes back from war, has extreme PTSD, and he ends up, as a lot of veterans, um, just addicted to alcohol. But the real trial in his life is when his wife and his daughter passed away in a car accident. So here's a man with PTSD and loses his family. And then the person who told him that he lost his family, there wasn't a lot of grace in the way they said it. So those words permeated his heart in a really, really negative way. So this is the guy that would be on our street all the time with a huge bottle of alcohol. You know, like the biggest one that you can buy with like a handle on it, right? And he would just drink it like water, right? And so eventually we kind of got down to the root of his story and understood his pain. But when his painting sold, he said, I just want a hotel room. Like, get me a hotel room for like a month. I haven't had a good night's rest in a bed for, I think he said, like 15 years or something like that. Just crazy. And so this is the guy. He, James would always have his pants soiled. He would always urinate on himself. Like, he was that guy. Like, we couldn't have him in our house usually because it'd be hard to get him in your car, you know? Like, and so just because he was just always a mess. So we got him a hotel room, he cleaned himself up, and he calls me, and he says, Brian, I want you to come visit. And so I came to visit, knocked on his door, and this man opens this door, his hotel room, he opens it, swings it wide open, and he's standing there in just his tidy whitey underwear. <laughs> and they're like pulled up above his belly button, and I'm just like, there's so much wrong with this right now, right? And I'm like, James, like, what are you doing? And he's just like, hey. You don't understand. He's like, when you come home from work every day, I'm sure you like to like strip down, sit on the couch, take your clothes off. He's like, I haven't been able to do that in 15 years. So here he is like on his bed in his tidy whities with his remote, with his TV remote, just relaxing, right? And it was like a dream of his to do that, right? 
I never wanted to see that image ever. <laughs> I'm like, why would you invite me over for that? But that's what he wanted to show me. He wanted to show me that he can finally relax and be in his underwear for a little bit. And so I don't know if that's good, bad, or ugly, but if you saw the image, it might have been ugly. So the next slide is a friend of mine. Her name is Cindy. So Cindy is um, a lady who stood on First Street right in our city, right downtown for years with a sign asking for money. She would always give people really tough love. She had this deep, deep, raspy voice, and she'll just tell you like it is. Like if, if she has something to say, she will say it, right? And you just deal with how and what she says. And so I went out to Cindy after her painting was done, and I revealed the painting as I do with everybody. And I said, Cindy, this is how I feel the Lord sees you. And she goes, blue hair? I don't have blue hair. And she goes, I hate it. And I'm like, what do you do when you spend hours working on someone's painting and they hate it, right? <laughs> what do you do? That's not a highlight, right? I don't want to share that on my Instagram. And then she looks at me and she says, it doesn't matter anyway. Nobody's ever going to buy a painting of this old lady. And then I said, oh, okay, so there's something deeper than, than that you just don't like blue hair. There's something, there's rejection that you've built up over years, holding the sign, rejection, 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 rejection. She feels so rejected by the world that she said, no one will ever buy a painting of me. So I posted this very photo online, and an hour later, someone said, I need to buy this painting. It reminds me of my grandmother. And so I got to go back out to Cindy and say, hey, guess what? A blue-haired old lady that you said no one would ever purchase was the fastest one we sold at the time. And she welled up like red, just like the face in her painting, and she was like moved to tears, right? So Cindy moves on to, um, to get, uh, she has housing in somebody's backyard. They have like a guest house. So someone that has passed her for years got her that guest house. She ran after Social Security, which she deserved, but she always felt hopeless, so she never stepped into what was rightfully hers, right? And um, years later, a couple years later, she reached out to me and she said, you know, you didn't get me my services, you didn't house me, but you gave me hope again. Like, that, that's what I trace back to the moment of hope when someone bought my painting. So now she walks around with a little mini print and she shows people all the time the painting that gave her hope and helped her realize that like she was special and she was deserving of services, right? There's a saying that, um, how does it go? It says, hope and hopelessness are both contagious. Which effect do you want to have on the world, right? And I think we've all been around people that have a, a hopelessness that's contagious and it's hard to be around them. That was Cindy, right? But she got injected with real true hope that day. But that was a moment that was pretty ugly when I stood in front of her with a painting that I worked really hard on, and she says, I hate it, right? I, was, I literally walked away with like my head down asking God, why? I don't understand. Like, why would you have me do this if that would be the reaction? And so I've learned walking out this journey with the Lord that sometimes I think we have to lay aside our, our discernment of what we think is good or bad. Because that was like a bad moment. God, this is bad. I'm going to my car and I'm holding this painting. This was a bad moment. 
And then right after an hour later, oh, no, 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 God, this was a good moment, right? And so then I'm happy again. And so what if we were just, what if we laid down our expectations of what's good or bad and just said, God, I just thank you and I trust you with whatever's happening here, right? I can't see outside this picture frame. I don't know what you're doing fully in Cindy's heart, but she taught me a lesson of like, maybe I shouldn't be the discerner of good and bad, right? And so... I walk out life with just an expectation of, Lord, I just trust you regardless of what my eyes see. Whether it seems good or bad, whether it seems dark, super dark, or whatever it may be. Next slide. That being said, I've touched a little bit of, about our marriage. So in the next slide here, you'll see a house. And this house is, um, this was honestly Vanessa's uh, expectation of marriage. She, she, uh, she always wanted the picket fence and the Starbucks dates. You might have heard about that last night. And I was on board. I would love to live in that house. That's a nice house. Um, but what our marriage actually ended up looking like was this, right? We weren't living there, but kind of felt like it. You know, we were hanging out with the people that live there. And so we thought we were going to have one thing when we were married. And then the Lord birthed something completely different. And I didn't know how to have boundaries. All of my time was being spent with the homeless. My wife's time was being spent at home waiting for me to get home, wondering if I'm coming home because I would do like dangerous stuff. And all the while, like we were drifting apart. I remember one day so clearly Vanessa goes, you love the homeless more than me. Right? And I was just like, oh, you know. And then on my side, I'm like, well, the Lord told me to go serve the homeless, you know. And so it was just really, really nasty like what was happening in our household between us. And um, the enemy's really good at attacking marriages. If you're in ministry, like definitely focus on your marriage. You know, a marriage is so sacred to God. It's such a holy covenant. It's such a beautiful bond. And that's the first thing he did to us. Like right when we got married, like that attack came. I think it was both an attack from him, but then it was also we didn't have much wisdom in it either. And so we moved our coffee table out of, the, out of the living room one day. We got on our faces, and the Lord met us in a beautiful way. And that night, like, his presence touched our house in a way we've never felt. I, I don't know if you guys have ever had an experience where it feels like the Lord is in the room with you. I don't know if that's ever, if, that, if, you've, if you haven't, desire that. Because, like, that was a moment where it felt like he opened the front door and he was standing with us in that place. We couldn't see him or feel him but it was just the emotions and the weight of his presence. And so the next slide here, um, I'm, this transitions into this story. The very next day after that moment, um, Bo messages my wife, Vanessa. This is Bo. little backstory on Bo. He has said many, many, many inappropriate things to Vanessa, like things that would warrant me never, ever talking to him again, right? He has like went and met Vanessa like walking down the street when she's walking my dog and I'm not with her and said things to her that makes her really uncomfortable. And so she's always been really apprehensive towards being around Bo, right? And so on one respect, I could easily say, Bo, we're done. You don't respect my wife or my marriage. Like this friendship is over. Like that would make a lot of sense, right? And on the other side is Bo must not know who he is in Christ. If he truly knew his sonship in the Lord, he could never disrespect another man's marriage like that, right? And so I had these two things. What do I do? Like, do I just eradicate Bo from my life or realize Bo just doesn't understand who he is in Christ yet? And so I chose this. 
right, <laughs> against the will of my wife because she was just done, right? But after that day that we laid our faces on the floor and asked the Lord for help, Bo messages Vanessa, as he would sometimes on Facebook Messenger, and she comes home from work, and she's, like, excited about Bo messaging her. And I'm like, wait, you're supposed to be angry. You've never been excited about this. <laughs> and she was showing me. She let me read all of her messages in response to what Bo was saying. And it was like I was reading, like, the red text in the Bible. It looked like, it looked like every response was, like, from the Lord. And I'm like, he met us here last night. A day later, he puts the hardest trial in our life. And Vanessa responds just like Jesus would. And I'm reading this and I'm like, you wrote this to him? <laughs> like, like you, you, you poured out your heart like this? And it was a moment where I just felt like the Lord said, like, with me, all things are possible in your ministry. Like, with me, like, keep me central. And there's no trial. There's no great darkness that would overcome what I'm doing. And so we've walked out life like that since. Next slide here. This is a moment where <laughs> um, we could have died, <laughs> maybe. I, I say that, I know I'm laughing because it's in hindsight, but we were coming home from a friend's dinner one day, and it was probably about 11 o'clock, and we're driving into our city, and it's really dark. Our city kind of shuts down at like 10, and I see this guy on the side of the road, and he has one leg, the other one's gone, and he's sharpening something, and he has his stuff spread out all over the sidewalk. And he looks like kind of disgruntled. And so we have to turn right on the street that he's at. So I turn and I look at him. And Vanessa looks at me and she goes, no, no, he is sharpening something, right? <laughs> Let's, and it's 11 o'clock. We got work. No. And I was like, I think it's the Lord. <laughs> She's like, you always think it's the Lord. <laughs> no, right? And so I just pull into a parking space in our city. And I look at Vanessa and I was like, let's go. And she goes, no, I'm not going. She's like, you can go, but I'm staying in the car. And I said, I really feel like you're supposed to go. And I did feel that, but I also didn't want to go alone. So I took Vanessa. <laughs> it was both. And so we walk up to this guy, right? And he's just like, he's like, he's making all these weird noises. And as we approach him, the, the thing he was sharpening was a cross. So he was holding this cross, and the long end was poking out of his fingers here, and he was just sharpening the tip of it. And I was like, whoa, so if we die, it's going to be by the cross, which, <laughs> sure, right? And so I walk up to this guy, and the first words out of his mouth, I'm like, hey, man, like, we just wanted to check on you, see how you're doing. And he's just like, oh, how you doing, N-word? I hope you don't mind that I call you that, N-word, N-word. And he keeps calling me like the N-word, Right? And so here we go. I have to make a choice, the good, bad, and the ugly, right? It, it, like he must have said it 10, 15 times like in like a couple sentences, like trying to provoke me, right? And so on one side, it's really easy to just say, okay, this guy is racist. The world's racist. I'm going to make a post about him and post it on my social media, right? <laughs> and then the other side is this guy really must not know who he is in Christ, Darkness is definitely rising up in front of us. Let's see what the Lord is up to, right? And so I stick with this side, and I just take all the ammunition he has. And as he's calling me the N-word and provoking me, we're asking him about his family. And then uh, eventually he starts talking about his daughter. He mixes in the N-word a couple more times. And um, finally, we just say, 
hey, I feel like we're supposed to pray for you. Is that all right? Keep in mind, he's still sharpening this knife. <laughs> N-word, N-word, sharpen, sharpen. And so I said, we're going to get close to you, or we're just going to lay our hands on you. This whole time, he's been balancing on one leg, right? And so we approach him. He has this cross blade pointed out towards us. And so Vanessa and I are kind of doing this sort of thing. And I, you know how you have like a really impactful moment. So you're like, I'm going to pray my best prayer. Like it's going to have some scripture in it and all of this stuff, right? So I pray as best I could and nothing happened, right? He was still just kind of like. (laughs) And then Vanessa prays and it was like the Lord took her tongue. Like it, it was like flowing and she was saying things that like I've never heard her say before in a prayer. And we're hovering over this guy, and like I'm looking at her like, what is going on, right? And then this guy starts weeping, and he falls to his one knee, almost face on the floor, and he starts crying like a baby, like, like snotty, weeping, crying. And it's not like she, said, like she didn't say anything that, about his family or anything that made him cry. It was just the presence of God hit this guy, and he, like he had an encounter with Jesus, right? And... Um, so the guy that was calling me the N-word, provoking me, is now on the floor crying like a little baby, right? And he was crying so much, we actually just left him there. We were like, okay, you know, he didn't get up. So we, we were like, I think our work here is done. And we got back in the car and went home, right? But it was in that moment that I realized how, one, how powerful my wife is, but two, how interested he was in our union as it pertains to ministry, because my prayer didn't work. Right? I got all the darkness, and then my prayer didn't work. But Vanessa, you know, it was, it was this beautiful picture of the Lord saying, like, thank you for hearing my voice. And I think if we're honest, if we're completely honest with ourselves, like if we say right now, I want to get to know my heart in a deeper way, that I think we've all had those moments where we're just like, is that you, God? Like, like is, that, is that you? Should I stop? Should I say something to this person at the cash register? I don't know, God, this is my employee, so I can get me fired. Like, we've all had those moments as believers, right? Vanessa calls it a lamometer. She says, like, our lamometer was beating, like the Lamb of God inside of us. And so that was one of those moments. And the only way we'll know it's ever God is if we actually test the moment, if we actually follow and obey the moment, right? And so this was one of those moments where, it was like super sketchy. I'm not advocating that anybody get into dangerous situations. I would never say, go put yourself in danger to show you're a Christian. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, follow the voice of the Lord. And it's a silent whisper. It's super gentle, but it's there. You know, it's that, it's like, it's like, I feel that unction. It's because he's inside of you, right? So this kind of stuff doesn't happen for us every day. I'm not up here saying like, 10 times a week, this stuff is happening. But there's moments where I often miss it. I'll go home sometimes and I'm like, oh, I just repent, Lord. I know that was you, but I didn't want to talk to her at CVS right now. (laughs) We had to be somewhere, Lord. I'm so, you know, like every time something like this happens for us, it's two things. It's you have to take the risk and then it's always really, really inconvenient. Every God story that I shared yesterday and today It's always inconvenient. It's like you have to surrender your calendar and your clock. And then it's always a risk. You have to be willing to look like a fool for Jesus. Like you have to be willing to look dumb. You know, like, hey, man, with the knife, 
are you okay? You know, like that's dumb to do that, you know? <laughs> but you have to be willing to be like a child, a little bit naive, you know? So if you go to the next slide. This was a moment early on in our ministry. Daryl was, I think, the third or fourth, maybe the third person we painted. And Daryl um, dealt with extreme alcoholism. So he was always, he had a walker. So every time you'd see him in the city, he's like racing to the bathroom to try to get somewhere because he'd, have, he'd often urinate on himself. And so we'd always see him racing to a bathroom, to a CVS, to a Rite Aid, to a grocery store. But it'd always be like urine trail, you know, like that was just always Daryl. And so he got a cell phone from the government. I had to go to Korea on a work trip, but he gave me this phone and he said, I need you to charge this so I can keep in touch with my mom while you're gone, right? And so the day before leaving to Korea, I had to find Daryl to give him his phone back. So I go into the civic center, which is the encampment in our city. I think at the time, four to 500 people were living there. And I'm looking for Daryl. Has anybody seen Daryl? I need Daryl. Finally, one guy said, I think I saw him behind like that alley in the building, uh, behind the building in the alley over there. And I walked down the alley and Daryl is standing there with his pants down, underwear down and like poop all over him, like all down his leg and his shoes. And so it was getting dark. I was like, I should just go home. right? But we made eye contact, so now I have to go. Right? <laughs> and so I walk up to Daryl, and he's just like, I don't know what to do. Like, look at me, right? And so I call Vanessa. I'm just like, Daryl pooped all over himself. Like, I need your help. So she goes to CVS, gets a bunch of towels and water. But really what was going on in my heart right there, as I'm looking at this guy with his pants down and poop all over himself, I'm thinking, am I really in this? Is this really what I want to do? Like, it was like a test for me. It was like, how much am I actually a believer in what I say I would do to be like Jesus, right? And so, like, it was a moment where I could, like, walk away and probably get home and be like, I shouldn't have walked away. Or I can, like, stomach it and say, let's help this guy clean himself off. And so Vanessa brought me some soap, water, towels, X, Y, Z. And I'm cleaning poop off of a guy who's naked, who I just met, who, and people are pointing and laughing, and it was just like a weird situation. And at the end, Daryl looks at me, and he goes, are you an angel? Right? And I was like, no, I'm not an angel. But, but I really felt like in the moment, the Lord gave me so much grace to, to clean up poop. I didn't have a baby at the time. I'm used to poop now. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Daryl, would have, it would have been easy. Daryl, get some wipes. We got you, right? But at the time, I didn't know how to do all this stuff, right? But um, it was this moment of, like, am I in for what I say I'm in for, right? And this was a good, bad, or ugly trial that the Lord put right in front of me in the beginning. And it was like, are you, are you down for what you say you're down for, right? And so Daryl was super grateful it was an experience of radical. He actually passed away this last year um, from alcoholism. He died on his mom's porch. She, he would always fall asleep on her porch outside of her house. And she went into hospice care because she's a little older, so she wasn't home for a while. He came over to sleep on the porch, and they found him there a couple of days later um, from some form of, he used to have seizures if he didn't have a drink. So I think the cause of death was unknown, but. We had some great moments with him, but it's not always uh, 
fun-filled story in the end, right? Um, I love sharing highlights, but I also love sharing the truth about things. All right. These are text messages, <laughs> as you can see. I've blurred them out just for, like, protection. It's not the projector that's blurry. Um, how many of you have ever heard the statement, hurting people hurt people? You guys heard that? Pastors say it all the time, right? That is true. <laughs> how many of you have experienced that? Many of us, right? Um, well, we experience that a lot. There's a lot of hurting people out there. So these are just messages from one person that sometimes would go on for three, four days, right? And they were always accusations, voice, voices from the accuser, right? And so these are accusations, you're this, you're that, you don't really want to help us, give me all my money, da 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 da, da right? Like, and these go on for days, and I always just let our friends get it all out. My wife, it, it, it makes her boil inside because she's like, she wants to protect her husband. She sees sort of the things that we go through, and she'll be like, give me the phone, right? <laughs> and if I ever gave her the phone, she's Cuban, so it'll be, she'll write some stuff. <laughs> so, so I never give her the phone, right? <laughs> and we just let it go until it stops. And then once they get everything in their heart out, then I'll call. And I'll like, now that you've exposed your hearts, you know, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. It's so easy to hide stuff in our heart because it's internal. But now that you've got it all out there, let's talk. And we're going to talk about truth. And the truth is going to hurt. And it might cut through some of the things that you're saying. Um, I never, ever, ever defend myself. I feel like when the Lord says in Scripture, when you go before the judge, don't defend yourself. And so I never defend myself. If anybody accuses me of anything, I'm just like, thank you, Lord, for persecution. Like you said, Lord, if you're doing the right thing, persecution would come. So now I use like persecution as a marker of, oh, cool, we're like right where we're supposed to be, right? I know that's weird, but like he says, you will face persecution. So I'm like, if I'm not facing persecution, like we got to go deeper. We got to go farther, Lord. Like it should be here. You said it'll come in this world we live in. And so when it comes in forms like this, I'm just like, woohoo, you know, like it sucks that they're feeling this way, but. Let's get down to the root of what's causing these things. And so this is very common. This is actually one of the reasons why people live isolated lives. You know, if someone can, that's, that's a sequence of texts. That's not like over weeks of, of work. That's like one right after the other, right? And so it'll go on forever. And I have a great relationship with this person right now. Um, we have a relationship where we tell each other we love each other. And so it's really good. But there, it's, it has not been without trial. And so anybody in homeless ministry probably knows this already. I'm preaching to the choir, but trials are absolutely normal. Go to the next slide. We're going to skip this one because I want to save more time for questions. So it's the last slide here. And uh, we were coming from a conference about a year ago, and this conference was amazing. It was a creative conference in our city, and we felt so full. I think they actually sung that song, Fill Me Up, God, after and the conference, like, we just left there feeling like we were bursting with the Lord. And we get home at, like, 10, 15 at night, and we got to walk our dog before bed. And we walk by this kid, about 20-year-old kid, sitting on the sidewalk across the street from our house with a needle in his arm, holding it up to a lamppost. And he's trying to, like, wiggle it into one of the many sores that are all over his arms, like open wounds, right? And so I'm like, okay. I feel full of God. Let me let my dog pee and poop. And then we come back the other way, and Vanessa's with me, and it was another moment where she's like, 
no. <laughs> like, it's 10.15, let's go to bed. And I was like, I got to talk to him. So she's like, give me the dog. And so she takes the dog and she's watching us and walk up to this guy and he's kind of nodding out, in and out. And I'm like, hey man, like, uh, are you all right? And he's kind of halfway responsive now, very, very high. And I said, I think I have a word from the Lord for you. Like, willing to look dumb, right? I think the Lord told me something about you. And so I told him something to the degree of, like, the Lord's going to use all of your trials and the things that you're experiencing right now, and you're going to be responsible for setting a lot of people free from the very bondage that you find yourself in, right? Typical, like, Christian saying, I would say, right? And so then he was just like, he was like, what? What did you just say? And, and he goes, someone just told me those exact same words, word for word, this morning. And I was like, are you high or are you just like actually mean that, right? And he's like, no, somebody told me that. And I said, wow. And like I said, I think the Lord's here with us. So we start talking to him, asking questions about his life. He tells us his mom died in a car accident, I think a year or two before. And at this point, he's kind of standing up and he's more alert. And he grabs hold of the lamppost and he's looking up at the sky. And he says, God, I miss my mommy. And he's crying. He's weeping. The heroin addict on the street is holding a lamppost, crying out to God with those exact words, God, I miss my mommy. And he's like sobbing. And so I said, hey, man, let's pray. So I looked at his hands with all the sores, like on both, like he had sores everywhere, right? I'm like, Phew. And then I just felt like the Lord said, grab his hands. So I grabbed his hands and I can feel the sores in my hands. I could feel, I was, ugh. Right? And I'm just like, let's pray. So we prayed with the guy. And he opens his eyes at the end. And I'm not saying this to exalt myself in any way. But he looks at me and he goes, are you Jesus Christ? Right? That's what he said. And I said, no, no, I'm not Jesus Christ. But he does live in me. And he's here right now. And he sees you and he wants to know you. And he's like, what do I do next? He's like, please don't leave me. Don't leave me. So we got him some food and then uh, I told him, I said, hey, I want you to do something. You have to promise me something. And he goes, whatever it is, yes. He goes, I said, you please don't ever again depend on any man to meet your needs. I was like, you don't want me in your life. You want who lives in me to live in you, right? And so that I give to you today. But please don't depend on me to always be there for you every day. I will fall short. I'm a human being, right? But I was like, the one who lives in me will never leave you. Right? And he's like, where do I go next from here? And so we gave him a local church right down the street that serves addicts. And he's like, I'm going in the morning. And we've never seen him since. I don't know where this guy is. That's sometimes the journey, right? But it was this beautiful journey of the heroin addict, which is what we see in our eyes. All of our neighbors walked by this guy. Like a couple of them peeked out halfway and were asking us to like, do you need us to call the cops? Are you okay? And we're like, hey, we're good, right? This guy is... This is a broken-hearted 20-year-old that misses his mommy, right? Um, and so those are, those are some of the journeys that we deal with, right? Um, I love bringing light into darkness. When I left that guy and went upstairs, I jumped in the shower as fast as I could to wash my hands and, like, scrub my body. And um, the Lord said to me, he said, Brian, tonight you believed that the kingdom of light is greater than the kingdom of darkness, because darkness was huge in that moment. That was the darkest thing we've ever walked up on, ever. Needle in the arm, under a light, like that, I, that was tough for us. But we said, okay, Lord, if what you say is true, 
we're going to walk into this situation, and we did, right? And so that was one of our, our most testing stories, but we want to open it up to Q&A, and you're allowed to ask anything you want. Hard, easy, controversial, doesn't matter. So on the count of three, raise your hands. No. <laughs> so you guys, right here, black hat. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's more of an artistic thing. Every painting that I do, I pray about the colors. Um, a lot of them do have transitional movement. Um, I have definitely turned canvases around and prayed and prophesied over transition that's coming for sure. Um, but I wouldn't say it's formulaic and they all are like that. But definitely what you just said has been in some of my pieces, 100%. Right here. That's an amazing question. How do you keep the fire burning, right? For me, I experience what I'm, I'm human just like you. So my fire does this, right? But when I don't have a moment where I'm experiencing God showing up, it drives me into this thing. Okay, God, I got to take a risk for you. I got I, I to step into some form of inconvenience. I got to hear your voice and respond soon because like, I start, I'm starting to feel dead inside. I, I know that feeling, right? It goes in waves. I, don't, I wouldn't say Brian Peterson is like fire, fire, fire all the time, right? Like mine is definitely like a roller coaster, right? Which is why I show some of the goods and the bads, right? And, um, but you have to intentionally keep oil in your lamp, right? Like scripture says, like you have to keep the oil in your lamp because you don't know when the return is, right? And I think he's just saying like, like, Continue to commune with me. It's my voice. Like, he promises more of his voice as we become hearers of it, right? And so hear, hearing and obeying comes with the promise that he will speak more, right? And so I pray that my roller coaster goes like this, right? Like, I want to go higher, right, or deeper, whichever way you look at it. But that is a great vulnerable question that I deal with today. And so when you go to work on Monday and you feel like the flame is dying, it might be at work that he wants to ignite it, right? I've prayed for many people at work. I've went into the, our, a design manager's office and prophesied. I actually went into my director's office, who's the boss over everything, and he tried to give me this book one day, and it was like a non-Christian, sort of like, uh, like a new age kind of book, and then he goes, oh wait, you're a Christian, right? And then, so he didn't, he tried to like not give it to me. And we ended up talking about Jesus for like 20 minutes in his office, right? And so I think when you're at work is probably a good place to start the flame, <laughs> which is scary. I know it's scary. I know it's scary because you're like, this is my workplace. But um, I've taken many people outside and prayed for them. And it's great. It's, and it's scary. It's very scary. That's how you know it's the Lord. Like when Peter stepped out of the boat and started sinking, like that's how it should probably feel. You should feel like you're sinking a little bit. We got four minutes.
Yes, uh, in the beginning. I was ready to quit when I had expectations that the people would change. My mission was I am going to help the homeless. I'm going to get them housing and get them off of drugs and get them reconnected with their family. And this was like my mission, right? And if those things happen, that's all great. Keep in mind. But I had to change the mission of my heart to from helping the homeless to loving the homeless, right? Because loving the homeless basically means I'm going to hear and obey. I think my, my definition of love is not God's definition of love. Hey, here's the thing. Your definition of love is probably not God's definition of love, right? God's definition of love is hearing his voice and obeying. That's the best way you can love someone, right? And sometimes we enable people with our love, and sometimes we do other things with our love that are not healthy. But um, my mission right now is, Lord, I need to obey you to love them better. And if that looks like housing, great. If that looks like helping them record an album, great. If that looks like not talking to them for a week because they've been sending me crazy messages, then great, right? <laughs> but that I, that had to shift because I, I couldn't be people's savior. That's not what I'm supposed to be, right? White shirt and then black shirt. <laughs> yeah, a question was about boundaries. Uh, this came up last, last talk too. Uh, how many of you have heard of the book Boundaries? Have you read it? Okay. Uh, I should be asking you that question. <laughs> I have like three copies of this book, and I'm terrified to read it. I haven't even opened it. I'm scared. Yeah. Okay. I'm just, I'm just, I don't know. I don't even know what it's about, but I feel like if, if I read it, that I'm going to create some kind of boundary box around my life, right? And my boundaries that were unhealthy had to do with time a lot. I would spend a lot of time in the streets and not a lot of time with my family. And now I've learned that when I actually tell some of my friends on the streets, hey, I'm putting aside time for my wife and daughter, they're like, dude, I respect you so much. I wish I would have done that, right? And so when I'm just transparent with them and I tell them how I'm using my time, they're at utmost respect as people that probably managed their time poorly and ended up on the streets, right? But I haven't read the book. Maybe I should. Um, I, have, I have like three copies, and so I just repent, Lord, if like this book is something that you're like leading me into. But um, I, I think I recently got one a couple months ago, and I need to read it, but I haven't read it yet. So once I read it, I can probably answer that question a little better. Yeah. <laughs> oh, black shirt. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, I was looking up his name. We were trying to do like a prison search on him. And I think they transferred him like somewhere way up Northern California. Um, I think he was somewhere local and then he went like way up there. So I haven't visited him. I haven't received any calls. I'm guessing he doesn't have my phone number, but um, he's so far away, I, I'd have to make it up there. It's like my greatest desire though to reconnect with him. Like I feel like it'll happen one day. We got time for one more and then we're done. That's good. What does my personal relationship look like, Christ? Um, this was asked last time, too. I'm actually not one of those people that, like, go into a prayer closet and, like, close the door and stay there for hours. I desire to do that. I just can't ever find that rhythm. Um, when I wake up in the morning, the first thought on my mind is the Lord. When I go to bed, I watch a lot of videos, read the Word. Um, sometimes Vanessa and I will read through the Bible before we go to bed. Um, but for me, my favorite time with the Lord is in my car. 
when I'm alone. I talk to him out loud, um, ask him questions. There's like this mountain road that I drive down when I drop Vanessa off at work. And that road is like my holy road now. Like I love traveling that road with the Lord. I'm just looking out at his creation. And so I'm a pretty simple guy with the Lord. I don't have like a secret sauce. But my relationship with him is definitely rooted in obedience and like practicality. Like I believe what the word says. I believe when Jesus says like go heal the sick, raise the dead. Like I want to see the dead raised someday just because Jesus said it. Like, I'm that naive as a kid. Like, I am that foolish for the Lord, right? Like, you said it. Like, I've never actually prayed for anybody to be raised from the dead. But, like, that level of, like, I believe you, God. I don't just believe in Jesus. It's one thing to believe in the, in the resurrection, to believe that he is the Son of God, to believe that he was born from virgin birth. It's one thing to believe all of that. But I think the highest level is to actually believe what he said which is way harder than to believe in him. It's, it's pretty easy to believe in Jesus. Like, yeah, son of God, like all of this is great. But then to believe his word and act on it is like another level on top of just believing in him. And that's where I want to be. Like you said to do it, let's go do it, right? And so that's my relationship with him. And we're out of time. Love you all. Hey, we'll be at the merchandise table after the next service if you want to ask questions or come up and talk, anything like that. Bless you all. And please, nobody bring the Boundaries book to me. I have three copies. <laughs>